Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I'm Monty Judah with Lion and Lamb Ministries. Welcome to another edition of Messianic World Update. Today's date is Friday, March 10th of the year 2023. Several items in the news I want to share with you. One I think you're going to find really interesting. There's now more word coming out about King Charles's coronation that's scheduled for May 6th of this year. And one of the things that came out was the news about the anointing oil that is being prepared for him. Actually, they refer to it as chrism oil, but it's for anointing purposes to become the monarch. So I thought I'd just share a couple of things that are coming out about this. The olives that are being used to make the anointing oil are olives that were grown on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. It turns out that King Charles's paternal grandmother is buried there at the monastery for Mary Magdalene in the Jerusalem area, and her estate owns a couple of olive orchards that are in that area, so they're collected the olives from there. They have been taken down to Bethlehem, where they were crushed, they were pressed to extract the olive oil. That oil has now been taken to Jerusalem to the church there, uh, Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and the officials there have blended it with other botanicals to blend to make the anointing oil that they've made, and it's been sanctified there in Jerusalem by those officials to then be brought to Westminster Abbey for the coronation orientation. Now, I've also learned, this is rather fascinating, how they're going to do the anointing. Apparently, he's going to be anointed along with his wife, and she's the queen consort. He'll be anointed on his head, on his chest, and his hands, and this will be a private ceremony. This will not be done publicly because they're also going to do it under a canopy of which we would refer to it as a hoopah under the explanation that he's showing that he's the one been chosen by God and that being under the canopy, he's wedded to God, because we many times use a canopy for a wedding. And a lot of people are commenting about how disingenuous all this is from the standpoint that he's a divorced man marrying a divorced woman that he committed adultery with. And he's using all of these things to kind of put a cover over it. As a result of his coronation, he would now be regarded as the head of the Church of England, besides being the king. And if you'll recall, his actual coronation service is going to begin on May 6th, which is a Saturday, a Sabbath day. And it will go for, the, the, the whole celebration will go for, ready for this, three days and three nights. Now, I don't know if you picked up on the themes, but even the news report came out and said that all of this is modeled after the testimony of, they said, Jesus Christ. Now, you can't make this stuff up. If I was trying to lay a theme out of a guy that's going to imitate or replicate what we understand the Messiah to do, who's the anointed one, the Messiah is the anointed one, I don't know how I would put together a better imitation than the way this is. For those of you who followed some of my teaching about watching Prince Charles, now King Charles, 
This is fascinating stuff to absolutely watch this unfold. So I thought I'd pass that information on initially to you before we got into the other news. I just found that fascinating. In Israel, the protests now taking place, as I shared with you last week, of the citizens that are against the judicial reform law that's going through the Knesset, they are mounting up even more so. There's almost daily national protests going on. They're blocking roads. And in fact, the other day, Netanyahu, in making his trip to um, Rome to see the Italian prime minister, had to fly from Jerusalem over because the roads were blocked so he could catch the flight. We've got IDF pilots refusing to do their reserve time in protests of this. We've got IDF elements joining in in the protest. Their protests are all over the place about all this that's going on. And we keep looking for hints to see if Netanyahu is going to step back from that what his coalition government is trying to pass through the Knesset, see if they're going to modify it or whatever the case may be. There's been a couple of hint messages that maybe there might be a little compromise, but those that are opposed to this whole change in the law are objecting even to those compromises. This thing is really getting serious. And in fact, next week in the Knesset, there's supposed to be other actions that will take place to move that law forward. And we'll just have to see how that's all going on. But right now, there are many people in Israel that are very concerned that we are on the brink of anarchy within Israel, within its citizens. Now, that's a completely separate issue from the Palestinians and the continuing terrorist attacks. There was a recent one in Tel Aviv. Another Palestinian went in shooting a bunch of people. And that's also going along with the conflict that's north in Syria with Iran and what they're doing. And there's just a tremendous amount of things going on in Israel that are no nothing short of sheer chaos. Now, there's something kind of fascinating going on here, and I'm not quite sure exactly how this all spilled out because the question is being posed by some serious people. Has this been orchestrated to do this, or is this truly spontaneous and, and nobody saw it coming? And there's been an examination that have gone back and looked at the history of Israel, particularly the history of Benjamin Netanyahu. He thrives in the past. He has thrived in chaos. Israel has prospered even though it was in the midst of chaos in a whole variety of ways. If you remember, the kind of chaos he's had as prime minister, he was under indictment and had legal problems, as well as the conflict with Iran, the conflict with others, and so forth. He apparently, historically, Netanyahu thrives in that environment. And if you take a look at Netanyahu right now in the midst of everything going on, he's just calm as a cucumber, telling everybody to calm down, relax, you know, and so forth. And in the, historically in the past, he has prevailed. Now, maybe you've heard this expression, but the, there's an expression that goes about chaos, that chaos presents new opportunities. And it appears, and that's the question, is some of this being orchestrated to set the stage for opportunities? The reason I brought that up is because one of the things this chaos has done, it's emboldened Iran. 
And Iran is looking at Israel right now and thinks that Israel is vulnerable for a possible attack and that it wouldn't take much to just do the whole place in. Israel is a little bit like the Persians. They are extremely shrewd and strategic. I don't put it past Netanyahu that some of this may have, in fact, be orchestrated to set the stage for other things in the future where big changes could really take place. One of the biggest changes that would need to take place is the conflict with Iran and their nuclear weapons program. So let's talk about that for just a moment. Iran has been exploiting the humanitarian disaster that took place in southern Turkey and in northern Syria. If you remember the great earthquakes that took place there, thousands of people have died. All nations are bringing in aid and so forth. And Iran apparently is bringing in aid and smuggling weapons in at the same time. And Israel warned Iran about this. And this last week, Israel went up and blew up the Aleppo airport where Iran has been bringing these so-called humanitarian flights in and took the airport out of service for several days. And I think that was Israel trying to stop weapons shipments that are coming into Syria to ultimately go to Lebanon. We also had, in this last week, we had very high-level visits from U.S. Secretary of State, the State Department, National Security Council, the DOD, including the defense minister and the chief of staff of the Joint Chiefs. All of them have been in Israel on meeting. And under the banner of the U.S. showing their support for Israel. And I think what's really taking place is I think the upper management, both the U.S. and Israel, is reviewing what are they going to do with Iran. Because at the moment, Iran is literally on the brink of being ready to build nuclear weapons. As a conclusion of this, there was a very interesting speech from Netanyahu that came in the aftermath, and I want to quote a portion of it to you, where he said, quote, if we do take action against Iran, there will be a war, and you will face war if you don't take action, and that war will potentially be a horrible nuclear war. Stop and think about it for a moment. If Iran gets nuclear weapons, Israel is now justified in using nuclear weapons. If you want to keep it conventional, we better do something now about Iran before they get nuclear weapons. If they get nuclear weapons, the door is now open for a Middle East nuclear war. And that's essentially what Netanyahu is saying. Probably the strongest wording I've heard so far to date on this whole conflict with Iran and Israel. All right, so let's move to some of the other conflicts we watch, which is Russia. Russia, in its most recent attacks in Ukraine, has been adding hypersonic missiles in the attack. They've been doing these large barrages of missiles and drones. And the problem with these hypersonic missiles is they travel so fast, they can go anywhere from Mach 4 all the way up to Mach 10. Air defenses can't shoot them down. They're too fast. Furthermore, they also have the ability to be controlled where they can change course along the flight and they can change course multiple times before they hone in on the specific target they want. And from an air defense standpoint, it's virtually impossible to shoot them down if they're jinxing and doing that kind of activity. 
So Ukraine is very concerned about that. And as I said, Russia is this last week launched a barrage of like 80-some of those missiles at Ukraine. Only about 30 of them got shot down. And there was a whole bunch of these hypersonic missiles mixed in with it. A hypersonic missile from Russia can carry nuclear weapons, but these are carrying conventional weapons, high explosives, and they're attacking multiple cities at the same time. And there really is no effective air defense against these particular weapons. This is kind of changing the course of things in the war with Ukraine. Furthermore, there's a city called Bakhmut, and the Russians are just pouring more and more and more troops in to capture that. In comparison, it seems like the Russians are losing about five times more soldiers than Ukraine. The numbers on this are just crazy. It's just a disaster from a military science standpoint, but that's what it is. That's what the war in Ukraine is. It's just horrible. One other news item with regard to Ukraine is there was, not too long ago I shared with you, Ukraine is a great wheat producer for the world. And there was great concern with the Russia-Ukraine war that those wheat shipments would not make it out to the rest of the world and there would be parts of the world starving. Well, they put together a temporary grain treaty of sorts to allow shipments to come out to, for other nations to be able to have the food. That agreement is coming to a close this week. And so the question is whether or not it will be renewed. And there's still, again, great concern that if those shipments don't go out, we will have a food security problem on a global scale. Just to add to the tensions with regard to that, where the world's at right now, Egypt, which is also a large grain producer, just backed out of the treaty and said, we don't want to be a part of the treaty anymore. So it's like people are now starting to isolate instead of working cooperatively on a global scale, they're starting to separate out into individual segments to guarantee that they have grain, but others may be suffering loss. Well, also in the midst of all of this, the Russians are definitely trying to knock the, the lights out in Ukraine, all over the country. Their nuclear, their, the largest nuclear power plant for their, has been knocked out of service like six times already, trying to get it back up. And Russia's strategy is to turn the lights out in the country and just overwhelm them with forces. And the game plan on how they're trying to win doesn't seem to make any sense. Nobody agrees that it's a winning strategy. But that's the strategy they're using, and that's what we're observing taking place. So the last time I want to share with you, and I'm sure you picked it up in the news here recently, all of a sudden, everybody in the United States is taking note of China. And everybody is now saying the same thing. China is a threat and a growing threat. And oh, by the way, for the first time, we're now hearing that the United States is potentially taking some small steps to address this future problem. They have added money in the budget to reinforce U.S. Pacific bases. And in fact, I mentioned with you earlier that they were trying to set up a new base in the Philippines for the U.S. military. The U.S. is now sending a special group of trainers, military trainers, into Taiwan to work with their military, not a great big number, only about 2,000 of them, but that's still a significant step 
where the U.S. is now showing China that there's going to be some effort to support Taiwan and blunt China's goals on the rest of the Pacific region. Japan themselves are doing a number of things to prepare up. But most of the analysts think that what we're doing is we're just getting ready for a world war. And very ominous feelings with regard to that. A few weeks ago, we heard a general, I believe it's an Air Force general, who made the comment that he thought that uh, China and the U.S. would be in a war by 2025. It's 2023, so a little more than a year. At first, his comment was dismissed. Everybody kind of denied it. Now, everybody's talking about it. Congress is talking about it. The White House is talking about it. The DOD is talking about it. Everybody that has something to say on this subject is all of a sudden weighing in, and consensus is developing that China is an ever-increasing global threat to peace, and in particular, a threat to the United States of America and its interests. So that's our report for this week. You know, the world continues to march toward the Great Tribulation, praise God, because that means that the Messiah will be returning shortly after that. So we look forward to that. Have a great Sabbath.